Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This is Giles Milton, host of the Unknown History Podcast, and you're listening to a special mini-series from historian Eleanor Herman on the royal art of poison. Hi, I'm Eleanor Herman, and today I'm going to discuss my new book, The Royal Art of Poison. Filthy Palaces, Fatal Cosmetics, Deadly Medicine, and Murder Most Foul. I'll be focusing on Chapter 22, The Arsenic Poisoning of Napoleon Bonaparte. The unrelenting abdominal pain was like a knife slicing through flesh and muscle and organs again and again, day after day, week after week, without the relief of death. Napoleon Bonaparte had risen from nowhere to become the most powerful person on earth. He had ruled an empire of his own making, which, at its apogee, stretched from the Atlantic Ocean to Russia, from the icy Baltic to the sapphire-blue Ionian Sea, and comprised some 70 million souls. But, having lost the great Battle of Waterloo in June 1815, he became emperor of two rooms in a rat-infested, mildewed house on a rock in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, the island of St. Helena, a 70-day sail from France. And soon, his empire would shrink even further to a wooden box six feet long, two and a half feet wide, and two feet high. British Army surgeon Walter Henry said St. Helena was the ugliest and most dismal rock conceivable of rugged and splintered surface rising like an enormous black wart from the face of the deep. St. Helena was a port of call for ships traveling to India or South Africa to take on fresh water and supplies. In 1815, it had a population of 4,000, including a garrison of 1,000 men. Napoleon's flotilla brought an additional 2,000 soldiers to guard him. His new home, Longwood House, was a sprawling one-story building of pale yellow stucco and 23 rooms. About 50 people lived there, including Napoleon's servants and British guards. Now his biggest enemy wasn't the Duke of Wellington or the Tsar of Russia. It was the stultifying boredom. Though he had brought 1,500 books with him, he remarked that he needed 60,000 to keep him occupied. Up to six hours a day, he dictated his memoirs to a secretary. Every evening at eight, a servant in an embroidered green coat and black silk knee breeches announced, His Majesty's dinner is served. Napoleon, his aides, and their wives sat down to a formal dinner on silver platters and Sevres china. Periodically, a giant rat skittered across the room as the diners politely ignored it. After dinner, everyone played cards. Then they listened as Napoleon relived his greatest battles or read out loud. 
If he managed to stay up until 11, he would say, another victory over time. The emperor often said he was afraid he would die of boredom on that rock, but boredom was not what killed him. Throughout his life, Napoleon had enjoyed excellent health. He exercised regularly, drank alcohol in moderation, and scrubbed himself in a hot bath every morning. Perhaps his wisest step in staying healthy, however, was keeping far away from doctors. Whenever he met a physician, his first question was invariably, Monsieur, how many patients have you killed in your practice? He rarely, if ever, took medication or submitted to bleeding, purging, and puking. His first year on St. Helena, Napoleon was allowed to ride around the island and walk into the port of Jamestown, conversing freely with those he met. But in October 1816, a new British governor, Sir Hudson Lowe, arrived and fretted day and night about the dishonor he would suffer if the most important prisoner in the history of the world escaped on his watch. He placed more and more insulting restrictions on his prisoner. Refusing to be guarded by babysitters in red coats, Napoleon stopped riding and walking, and with the sudden cessation of exercise, he rapidly gained weight and began to suffer swollen feet, headaches, bleeding gums, and a cough. On September 20th, 1817, for the first time, he complained of a dull pain in the area of the torso roughly parallel to his right elbow. His worsening symptoms included nausea, vomiting, sleeplessness, constipation, and depression. In July 1820, he grew fatigued from the slightest exertion. His pulse was irregular, his hands and feet freezing cold. By the spring of 1821, he could no longer walk without assistance and could barely eat, merely sucking the juice out of meat. The pain in his right side had spread across his entire abdomen. The emperor lost at least 20 pounds in a few months. When his Italian doctor, Francois Carlo Antomarchi, urged him to take medications, Napoleon snorted, keep your medicines. I don't want to have two diseases, the one I have already and the one you'll give me. On April 2nd, he told his English physician, Archibald Arnott, I have here a sharp pain that, when I feel it, is like being cut with a razor. He asked if his pylorus, the bottom of the stomach that connects with the small intestine, was affected. My father died of that, he said. Is it not hereditary? In 1785, the physician who performed Carlo Buonaparte's autopsy had found in the stomach a tumor of semi-cartilaginous consistency, which was of the shape and size of a large potato or long elongated pear. Dr. Arnott reassured him that it was merely gas, and if he took his medication, it would go away. The emperor refused. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. 
Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. On April 15th, 1821, he wrote in his will... I die prematurely, assassinated by the English oligarchy and its hired killer. The English nation will not be slow in avenging me. After two more weeks of agony, he added, After my death, which cannot be far off, I want you to open my body. I recommend that you examine my stomach very carefully, make a precise, detailed report on it. I bequeath to all the ruling families the horror and shame of my last moments. Indeed, many powerful people wanted Napoleon dead. King Louis XVIII of France, the old, cowardly, unpopular brother of Louis XVI, sat uneasily on a sagging throne. Many Frenchmen longed for Napoleon to come back with the energizing spirit of the revolution. Britain, which had taken custody of Napoleon, feared he would escape the island, round up another army, and attack England, despite the fortune they spent annually on keeping him in exile. And the rulers of Germany, Austria, Spain, Italy, and Russia would have loved to see him safely buried if, that is, his death seemed natural. News of his murder would surely cause revolutions to spring up in Napoleon's name. By the end of April, he was delirious and vomiting material that looked like coffee grounds, a sign of what we now know to be gastrointestinal bleeding. Periodically, he fell into a coma. On April 26, he saw his beloved first wife, Josephine, who had died of pneumonia seven years earlier. She told me that we were about to see each other again, he said, never more to part. She assured me that. Did you see her? On the night of May 4th, he mumbled about France, the army, and Josephine. The following day, he fell into a coma and died at the age of 51. Louis Marchand, the emperor's faithful valet, who had been by his side every day on St. Helena, washed the body with eau de cologne and, with two assistant valets, laid it out on a trestle table in the billiard room where the emperor had studied maps. This was, perhaps, the most important autopsy ever performed. At 3 p.m., Napoleon's physician, Dr. Antomarchi, in the presence of seven other surgeons, all British, and ten French followers of Napoleon, sliced open the body. The post-mortem report stated, an ulcer which penetrated the coats of the stomach was discovered one inch from the pylorus, sufficient to allow the passage of the little finger. The internal surface of the stomach, to nearly its whole extent, was a mass of cancerous disease, or hard tumorous portions advancing to cancer. This was particularly noticed near the pylorus. The stomach was found nearly filled with a large quantity of fluid resembling coffee grounds. Months earlier, Napoleon's stomach ulcer had burst open, 
causing a hole through which a man could fit his finger. But his liver had glued itself to his stomach, acting as a kind of cork and preventing the stomach acids and food from flooding his body and killing him within hours, as a ruptured gastric ulcer normally would. Though his rupture had sealed, the ulcer developed into cancer. Modern research has shown that untreated gastric ulcers become malignant in about 6 to 9% of cases. Napoleon was buried in his favorite spot on St. Helena, a tranquil grove, but in 1840 he was exhumed in preparation for his return to France. Oddly, though his uniform had decayed, the emperor's body was perfectly preserved, and he looked as if he was sleeping, which many believed was a sign of arsenic poisoning. In the 1960s, a Swedish dentist and Napoleon buff, Dr. Sten Forshofvud, studied Napoleon's illness and recognized 22 out of 30 symptoms of arsenic poisoning. Though the French government was reluctant to lift the 35 tons of highly polished porphyry covering their emperor in Paris and submit the body to testing, Dr. Forshofud found numerous locks of Napoleon's hair from his time on St. Helena. Over the years, Napoleon's staff, residents and visitors to St. Helena had begged for them as keepsakes, and when he died, his valet, Marchand, had shaved his head and made many more gifts of Napoleon's hair. Dr. Forshafud obtained strands of hair from a variety of provenance sources and submitted them for testing, which revealed arsenic content up to 100 times the normal amount. Proof of poisoning, he believed. But since Dr. Forshafud's research, Napoleon's hair from his pre-St. Helena days has been tested by research institutes around the world, going back to his earliest years in Corsica. Always, he had arsenic levels about 100 times normal. And so did his first wife, Josephine. People of Napoleon's time ingested arsenic in several ways that had nothing to do with murder. Many medications contained arsenic, but Napoleon kept as far from doctors as possible and, as far as we know, never took any medicine until his final weeks. Arsenic was a popular ingredient in cosmetics, which may account for Josephine's high levels, but Napoleon would never have worn cosmetics. Napoleon's green wallpaper on St. Helena contained arsenic, sending bits of the stuff into the air with every breeze. But his levels did not increase during the time he was on the island. So how did so much arsenic get into the emperor's hair throughout his life? I believe the arsenic came from Napoleon's hygiene regimen. Unlike most men of his time, especially soldiers, Napoleon bathed every day, carting around a bathtub on campaign. He was an absolute stickler for cleanliness. Since lice were a perennial problem of an army on the march, he may have used an arsenic-based hair tonic to prevent infestations. Tiny bits of the toxin are fatal to insects. Over time, regular use of such a hair tonic may have actually killed someone else, but Napoleon's genetics and lifestyle were such that he had excellent health until he developed stomach cancer. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you have enjoyed the discussion from The Royal Art of Poison, 
which is available at booksellers everywhere. You've been listening to guest historian Eleanor Herman. I'm your host, Giles Milton. Tune in to the Unknown History Podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify or at quickanddirtytips.com. Thanks for listening. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks... Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.